This morning, we're concluding our Advent sermon series, the Gospel Lights Tour, where we have been touring through the homes of the four gospel writers to see how they're preparing for the coming of the Lord. So far, we've toured Mark's austere home without Christmas decorations, instead bearing a message of pause, prepare, and hope. Next, we toured Matthew's big family reunion, but also his somber nativity scene, showing the chaos and disorder of our world, the very one Christ is coming to save and bring peace. Then we went to Luke's over-the-top Christmas decorations and also his Christmas mixtape, exuding the unprecedented joy and song that comes with the arrival of our Lord. Today, though, we conclude with John. John, as the fourth gospel, is usually the odd man out. The other three gospels are known as the synoptic gospels, meaning they share a similar synopsis and plot. John's gospel, however, breaks this mold. Instead of one year of ministry, John's saga of Jesus has three years. Instead of going to Jerusalem once, just before his arrest, uh, John's Jesus goes multiple times. In addition, his gospel is much more spiritual than the other three. Jesus not only talks more in John's gospel, he talks about himself uh, in John's gospel for chapters on end, giving readers more of a, a deeper picture of who Jesus is for us. John was the favorite gospel of Calvin, Luther, and Wesley. John simultaneously writes with simplicity, but also unrivaled depth. My New Testament professor in seminary liked to quip that the Gospel of John is a place where a child can wade, but an elephant can swim. It's believed by scholars now that John writes his Gospel towards the end of the first century, but, uh, and like the other Gospel writers, but his occasion for writing is a little different. He's writing to his fellow Jewish Christians, who were in a unique sort of crisis, Their faith in Christ has caused them to be expelled from the synagogues because of growing persecution by Rome. They've lost their spiritual home, so John's gospel seeks to provide vision and comfort to a people finding their bearings in a strange new world. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the third chapter of John's gospel, beginning with the 14th verse. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. To be honest, friends, I had a difficult time trying to 
illustrate uh, and, and uh, think through what John's house might look like. His gospel begins with a Christmas story, but not one with manger animals, uh, manger and animals. Uh, it doesn't have Mary, Joseph, or even a baby Jesus. Rather, John's Christmas story is his beautiful, poetic, but also deeply philosophical prologue, what we read together uh, responsively, reflecting how God's eternal logos, word, became flesh and came to live among us. In Greek, that word literally means God's word pitched a tent to live with us. This cosmic rendering of God's word as the eternal light of God becoming flesh, becoming one of us, at first made me think of John's house uh, being like that house in your neighborhood with the big, bright, crazy light show that's timed to music. In my head, the music had to be as bright and bold as the gospel, so I imagine the uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra's version of Carol of the Bells, Time to Light. That was my first thought of what John's gospel house would look like. But then after diving a little deeper, another image came to mind. The image came, oddly enough, from one of my favorite television shows as a kid, Home Improvement. The main character, Tim the Toolman Taylor, goes all out every Christmas trying to have the best, biggest, and brightest Christmas decoration on the block. You can think of him being like the gospel writer Luke in this way. He decorates, or as he decorates, he strikes up a conversation with his eccentric, worldly neighbor, Wilson, whose face we never see because he's always on the other side of the fence. I think Wilson is a little like John here. The topic of Christmas decorations comes up as Tim is looking to find a diesel generator to power his revolving Santa on the roof. I mean, more power, right? In this conversation, Tim asks Wilson why he hasn't decorated for Christmas yet. Wilson eloquently answers, Well, actually, Tim, I decorate within. I have a tree in my heart, a wreath in my mind, and a star in my soul. Since we're imagining the four gospel writers living in different, na- uh, different houses in the same neighborhood this Advent, like four houses along a block, to me this seems like a conversation between Luke and John. To Luke, the coming of the Lord is cause for unprecedented joy and wonder, song and glee. This joy needs to be shared. Tell everyone, no matter their status, send some angels to tell even the shepherds out in the fields. We need big, bright lights. We need decorations all over the place. The sky is the limit so everyone can know just how wonderful of a thing has taken place among us. John, though, like Wilson, decorates within. For John, there is much to celebrate and prepare for, but his joy and preparation is turned inward. And he doesn't do this to keep it to himself, but rather to personally prepare spiritually for God breaking into our reality and world, that we might welcome him and believe. For John, the coming of Christ, God's word made flesh, this makes possible a new and closer relationship with God. As our reading says, we are able to become children of God. To me, John captures the essence of the line in the beloved Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Let every heart prepare him room. It's only when we've had this inward reflection and realized 
and, and taken hold of this new and closer relationship with God that we're able to outwardly share and celebrate this best of news. For John, the means by which this good news is to be shared is love. Our theme for this final Sunday of Advent, love. The word love appears some 57 times in John's gospel. That's more times than the other three gospels combined. We see this in our lessons, the new commandment Jesus gives that we love one another. In the seminal verse in John's Gospel 3.16, where Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Let's be clear what John's talking about, though. For John, when he talks about love, this love isn't necessarily a feeling. When John talks about love, he's talking about something that's done on behalf of others. John talks about an active love. A love that's worked out in actions of kindness and compassion. As our readings tell us, this is exactly what Christ does. He embodies this. He becomes flesh, becoming one of us as an ultimate act of divine love and self-giving. And the unlimited depth of this love is shown as Christ dies on the cross and rises again to new life. To put this in, uh, in another way, all of this is about love. Christ is God's embodied, active love. John's Christmas message is that love has now come into the world as God's word becomes flesh. Love's arrival allows us to have a new and deeper and more loving relationship with God as beloved children of God. To simplify, love shows up that we might love God, but also love one another, sharing this love of Christ with the world. You know, in the other three Gospels, when Jesus talks about love, he often talks about loving one's enemies. But John's Jesus is a lot more concerned with in-house love, that is, loving your neighbors, one another, the people that you're always surrounded by. Remember, John is writing to displaced Jewish Christians who've been removed from their synagogues because of their faith. The love he describes is pointed towards their their friends, family, and community members from whom they are now separated. John's vision of Jesus calls for this kind of love. Uh, This kind of love that Jesus calls for is the kind of love that can reconcile broken relationships, that can bring together Uh, uh, split and broken communities. To John, loving the people you're always around, with whom you're in community, this kind of love is much more difficult than loving an unknown enemy or stranger. I think in this day and age of divisiveness and polarization, we can find some common ground with John here. All of us have relatives, neighbors, co-workers, with whom we get annoyed, or who we have trouble forgiving, or who we just have trouble understanding, we just don't get. These are the people we are particularly called by John's Jesus to reach out to now in love. The love Jesus brings, the love Jesus embodies and shares, is a relational one. God has come to us in Christ in love to fix a broken relationship. 
In turn, Christ calls us to respond in love to those in our midst. It's messy. It's not easy. But it's necessary. It's necessary because love has now come. Love has changed the world, and we are to live by this love. Even and perhaps especially to our neighbors and those in our lives with whom we disagree. Practicing and striving towards this kind of relational love is a genuine act of Christmas discipleship. Friends, this Advent, we have toured the homes of the four gospel writers. Each home looked a little different, as each gospel presents a different image of what the coming of Christ means. Some of the gospel writers might have spoken more to you this year than in other years, and maybe a few years down the road, they would speak to you a little deeper. Mark's austere home shows a Christ who comes to bring hope in a time of despair. Matthew's simple nativity and activist yard signs show a Christ who comes into a violent, chaotic world to bring peace. Luke's decked-out home with carolers shows a Christ whose coming brings unprecedented joy, lifting our confidence in God's ultimate redemption. And finally, John's solemn, inward decoration shows us a Christ who comes down to bring love in a time when John's community was exiled from their spiritual homes. In all four Gospels, Christ embodies the trait He is the very thing of God that these gospel writers are are showing forth and and highlighting. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And Christ embodies this in the gospel so that we might also embody this trait and live into this new reality. In Mark, hope comes down to us that we might have hope. In Matthew, peace comes down to us that we might have peace. In Luke, joy comes down to us that we might have joy. And in John, love comes down to us that we might have love. Now, friends, we've watched, we've waited, we've prepared. Now it's time to go to Bethlehem together, ready and willing to welcome the Christ child yet again into our world. May our hearts prepare him room. And may we welcome him by living boldly as disciples, sharing his hope, peace, joy, and love to the world, that all may know that indeed love, that God's true love, has come. Glory to God in the highest, and peace and goodwill to all on earth. Amen.